All right, I'd like to pray for us this morning and then we can get started. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you um, just for the beautiful sounds of, of your people singing out your praise. Um, Lord, I know that it is meant to be an offering to you, but it, it is so good for our souls to hear um, just the beautiful sounds of, of voices singing out of, of your glory, and it, it just becomes a blessing for us as we are offering up our voices to you. God, I pray that this morning our time in your word would ring true. Um, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would hear clearly from your word. We would hear clearly from you. Help keep us from distractions this morning and help us just to focus in on what you are saying. We love you. You are good. It is in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. All right, we have been spending the entirety of this past year in Acts, in the book of Acts, and uh, and we're actually getting pretty close to finishing it. It is crazy. We are at the beginning of November, and it felt like it this weekend, that is for sure. Um, If you have just joined us over the course of this past year, we don't typically spend an entire year in uh, one book of the Bible like we have this past year, but after a lot of prayer and conversation, the elders thought that we needed to spend time looking at how the early church communed and lived with one another um, and, and, and how they lived out the words of their king, of, of Jesus, together. Um, it's not a stretch to say that the last couple of years have revealed um, a lot of division within the church, and it feels like now more than ever, if there's anything that we need as a church, as a body, as people who profess Jesus to be Lord, we need to return back to the roots, back to what gave us unity and and what it means to live out this shared good news that we proclaim. In in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus commands this church in Ephesus to return back to their first love, which is, of course, him. And to me, it feels like this past year, as we have been going through, um, as we've been going through this, this book, it has been exactly that. Return to your first love. Refer, return to Jesus. Set your eyes upon him. Acts has felt like such an important book to spend our time in because it records the work that God does through his disciples after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the book serves not only as a historical record of how the church grew, but it also is this testimony to God's faithfulness over the course of these incredibly high moments of the church, but then also these incredibly difficult and punishing moments of the church. We have read of of these incredible miracles done at the hands of the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have read about the disciples being imprisoned and persecuted and pain inflicted upon God's people during the early years of the church. And through it all, there has been this one common theme, God is faithful to his people. We see God freeing those who are captive to sin, healing those in need, feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who are cold, and giving this cold, cool, refreshing drink of truth in a world that is living in a desert of lies. We have seen the redeeming moments where the disciples were thrown into prison, beaten for the message that they spread, cast out for attempting to love the least of these, and through it all, God's message message has spread. I think the book of Acts for us here in 2022 serves kind of as a defibrillator, you know, uh, one of those machines with the paddles that shocks the heart back. It feels like it has been kind of this shocking of the heart back to the church to return back to the one that we love, return back to our first love, that is Jesus. 
And I felt like it's really important for us to start Acts 22 this way because what we are about to read is Paul giving his testimony before the crowds in Jerusalem. If you were here last week when Jay was preaching through Acts 21, um, you you would have heard um, it it kind of acted as a prequel to this, right? Acts 21 and 22 kind of serve as a part one and a part two. And we read about Paul being told by a prophet that if he were to go into Jerusalem, he was going to be bound and imprisoned. And the disciples urged him not to go. But Paul goes anyways. And what was prophesied comes true. Paul goes into the temple, and after a few days, a crowd rises up and accuses Paul of leading people away from the law in the temple and from bringing local um, Gentiles or Greeks into the temple and by doing so, defiling the temple. So the crowd gets so riled that the local authorities actually have to step in and they arrest Paul. The authorities think Paul is someone who he actually is not. When Paul actually gives his credentials, they're like, okay, go and address the crowds. They actually give him back to the crowds. And so Acts 22 is Paul addressing the crowds. And he's going to address them with the testimony of his life. But here's the thing. Paul's testimony is not his own testimony. As we've read throughout all of Acts, the testimony of the disciples are not their own testimonies. It, it is the testimony of God's goodness, of his love, and of his, of his faithfulness to those who are in a world stained by sin. This is the truth that I want us to key in on this morning, is that all testimony is God's testimony. He created this world. We rebelled against him, and he is in the process of redeeming those who have rebelled against him, and he is renewing this world all for his glory. All testimony, every story is God's testimony or God's story. We get to be a part of this story which is the greatest story ever told. Um, And as we look to Paul and his testimony, I want to challenge you to think about about your testimony and and key in on these three specific things. And we're going to go through these three specific things as we read Paul's testimony. Is One, who were you prior to Jesus? What was our life like prior to Jesus? Number two, what happened that caused you to turn to Jesus? And lastly, how are you different now? What does life look like now that, you have, now that you know you are forgiven by Jesus? You have been bought by his work on the cross. You have been called to live a life guided by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at how Paul does this in Acts 22, and let's see what the reaction is. Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Brothers and fathers, this is Paul speaking, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. I want to take just a moment before we even get in there to pause on that because I love the fact that Paul is addressing a crowd who previously was calling for his head. They They wanted him dead. In chapter 21, it said that they were seeking out to kill kill him. And despite that, Paul meets the crowd where they are. He specifically addresses them in their language. Those who have been transformed by the good news of Jesus recognize this. We are all fallen, broken, sinful people in need of a Savior. And Christians, if we recognize that truth, we should be the humblest people on earth. We know the depths of our depravity. We know the depth of our God's grace. As Romans 3 points out, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even when facing a crowd 
that was seeking to kill him, Paul meets them, not with anger, not with a fist, not with a debate. He meets them where they are. And it causes them to listen. So let's continue on. Verse 3, Paul addressing the crowd, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but bought, uh, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, which is another way of saying the church, to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness for me. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were also there and bring them into bonds to Jerusalem to be punished." So in Paul's before Christ testimony, he was, by all worldly accounts, doing awesome. He was born into the right family, into the right city, and he did not waste it. He was a student of Gamaliel who was highly regarded by the people of that time for his teaching. In his zeal and in his passion, he began to persecute the church. He was going to bring them down, those who were uh, taking people away from the temple and the law. So he began to persecute the church. His pride, his desire to be fulfilled by the achievements set before him caused him not only to deny Christ, but to seek out and to ultimately kill those who were preaching Christ. And this isn't the only place where Paul talks a little bit about his past history. We actually read a little bit about it in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about it um, there as well. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 says, If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was by all accounts of the world, big stuff. And this is what sin does ultimately, right? When Adam and Eve took of the fruit, they made this bold and broken claim that they were the ones who were in charge, not God. And that is at its core all of sin. That is at its core what we all battle with. Sin causes us to place ourselves at the center where God is supposed to be. Rather than worshiping God, we, in our pride, take place what God is supposed to take place, and we deem it what is worthy to be worshipped. We deem it what is worthy for us to spend our time on. It could be many, many different things. It could be um, achievement and status in the culture like Paul, that we worship. It could be the idolization of other people worrying more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you. It could be placing a substance at the core of your body, believing the lie that you could numb your pain enough away. Whatever sin it is, we have all taken something and placed it at the center of our lives where God is meant to be. The good news is that God does not leave us there. God did not leave Paul there. Let's continue in Acts 22. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the bright, brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, go wash away your sins, calling on his name. I take for a moment and place myself in, in, in Paul's place, just trying to grasp the gravity of this situation. Paul is blinded, he cannot see. And in, in this moment where he cannot see, he hears the voice of Jesus the very one whom he had been going around and persecuting his people, denouncing, saying that he was a liar and that he was drawing people away from God. He heard the voice of Jesus in his blindness. And, and I imagine what I would feel, and I probably would feel this, this twisting in my stomach. You know that twisting when you were a kid and you got caught by your parents for something and they called you out? That, that twisting in your stomach, and, and it would only be multiplied by like a, a thousand because in that moment, my sin would be on full display before Jesus. And not only would my full sin be on display before Jesus, not only would it be there before Jesus, but I would think to myself, I deserve death. I am blind, I cannot see. I am at the will of the one who blinded me. This is it. I deserve death. There's not a blessing in this world that I deserve because I have sinned against a good and holy God. And it is true. It's true. I do deserve death. The wages, the cost of sin is death. And in, and in that moment, in the twisting of our stomach, in the moment where we feel this overwhelming guilt of our sin, Jesus doesn't, doesn't do what we deserve. Instead, he says, I paid that price. I paid the price for your sin. So rise and know that you are forgiven. Go into the world and tell others about me. And, and Paul gets to see it in this spectacular moment. Paul is literally blinded, scales fall out of his eyes. But this is, at its core, what each and every Christian experiences when we recognize the depth of our brokenness, the depth of the brokenness of the world, but more importantly, the depth of the grace of God. And church, this is good news. The blind receive sight. You may not have had literal scales fall out of your eyes, but if you call yourself a Christian, if you have called upon the name of Jesus, if you have confessed him to be Lord, then this is your testimony because at its core, it is God's testimony, his good news. You know, something we started doing 
every Sunday morning at the beginning of summer is taking the Lord's Supper together. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and, and part of the reason why I love it is that there is this very physical representation of this good news that we participate in. We get to, all of our senses are engaged with it. It is not just the, the hearing of God's word. It's not just this intellectual thing, but it is this very physical representation of Jesus' body and blood that were shed for us, and we partake in it, and we become part of his story. And a, uh, and a, and a well-known pastor one time made this beautiful observation about communion. And, and, and he said, you know, back in Genesis 3, there was this suggestion for Adam to Eve to take and eat. And they did. And brought sin into this world. And Jesus, in taking our sin, in proclaiming the good news, he takes the bread and the wine and he says, take and eat. His body, the bread, the wine, or juice, his blood, representing the forgiveness of our sins, paying the price that we in our blindness deserved. Hallelujah. And so we wrap up Paul's testimony. So picking back up in Acts 22, verse 17, he says this, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And so he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul finishes this testimony, or as we see, we'll see after this, he gets cut off, um, with, with his calling. And his calling is to go and be an apostle to the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were those outside of Israel. So think about this for a moment. Paul, who prior to Jesus, he looked to his standing within his community as his hope in life and death right? He was, he was it. Paul's very identity prior to Jesus was his confidence in his life, his heritage from Israel, being from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee righteous under the law, the works that he did. And you would have thought that God would use him then to preach to Israel, but instead Paul is called to the Gentiles. What I love about this is that Paul goes after his interaction with Jesus, he goes to the place where he knows that he's going to connect with God. He goes to the temple, and in prayer, he stands before God, and he just falls to God for guidance. In his new life, it is looking to Jesus that is going to guide his path. And this is the case for us, church. If, if we have been blind, if we have had this moment with Jesus, and then we recognize that we are not our own, right? We have been bought with the price of Jesus' blood, and so therefore we look to Jesus to guide our lives. We look to the words of Jesus to tell us how to interact with each other. We look to the, to the way Jesus loved other people and go, that's how we're called to love other people. And that's what we need to do. We need to look to Jesus for our direction. We need to spend time reading his word. We need to spend time in prayer, and we need to go where he calls us. My youngest son right now, is uh, 18 months, one and a half, right? Um, actually, 17 months. My wife corrected me as she was reading the sermon, but 
this month he turns 18 months, so we're going to go with it because it makes more sense in my brain. Um, and he's, he's getting to that fun age where he is, um, he's just starting to imitate like everything we do, right? Um, he has two older sisters to look up to, uh, Sarah and myself, and now he's just trying, he's trying to do some of the things that we do. And a few weeks ago, when we were experiencing what I will affectionately refer to as first fall, or second fall, or fake fall, I'm not sure which one at this point, but it was cold, right? It was Wisconsin, it was cold. Um, I was getting the kids ready to go to grandma's house, and I was putting on him, he's getting to the age now where he has graduated out of the giant onesies that you put him in when they're cold, and now he's in like a big puffy jacket. You know, the one with like feathers inside of it, this just giant puffy jacket that we have for him. Um, and so I'm bundling him up, getting the kids ready to go to grandma's house. He's in this big puffy jacket. And, and I start to walk. Our, our, our kitchen um, is connected to our garage, and there's four steps down, and then you go into the garage. And um, I got him ready. He's st- standing up at the top. He's got his big puffy jacket on. And I, I turn my head for like one second. I swear it's one second. <laughs> you all know where this is going. <laughs> Walked down these four, four flights of stairs. I looked away for one second, and the dude just tried to walk down the stairs like everyone else. He's not big enough to walk down the stairs all by himself. He's got to do the scoot, right? He's got to like turn around, go on his stomach, like scoot down the stairs. That's how he gets down the stairs. But no, that was the moment he was going to try to walk down the stairs feet first. And it ended exactly how you'd expect it to end. He took one step, realized he couldn't make the stair, and that dude just like tumbled backwards. And I like, and I looked back around, and there he is, flat on his back. And he, he wasn't hurt. Like I'm praising God he had his big puppy jacket on, because like he wasn't even like hurt at all. He just like had this dazed look in his, his face. Like, that did not go how I expected it to go at all. <laughs> and, and he's looking up at me, and I'm looking down at him, and I'm like, I don't know what you expected, dude. <laughs> I like to call this dumb confidence. He just had this dumb confidence that he was going to get it down those stairs, stepping one at a time. And I, I share this because there is this childlike faith that we can learn from here, right? We need to spend our time listening, observing, meditating, engaging with Jesus, spending so much time that we are watching the way that he loved other people, the way that he spoke. We need to love others the way that he loved others. And, and sometimes we need to just step out and do what he has called us to do. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like my son Abel, there are going to be times that you step out, you look at Jesus and you go, this is the way that he acted, this is the way that he, you're going to step out and you're going to land flat on your back and you're going to have a dazed look in your, your eyes and you're going to be like, what just happened? But the beauty of our testimony, once again, is that it's not our own. It's God's testimony. It's his story. He is not surprised by the times that you step out and things don't go the way that you expect them to. He's, he's not surprised that you go and try to tell your coworker about Jesus and you do it in a way that's just a little bit brash and leaves your coworker a little bit rocked. He's not surprised by that. And, and, and just like how my son will eventually grow up and he'll begin to walk down the stairs, we eventually grow in our faith. We watch Jesus. We continue to spend our time paying attention to him. And we, we, we act like him because we try to imitate him because that is what he has called us to do, to be more like him. And this is what happens when we set our eyes on Jesus, the one who is called the perfecter of our faith. 
And so here is Paul in Acts 22. He is sharing his testimony. He is, he is standing before um, those whom he loved in Jerusalem. And let's see how the crowd responds to Jesus' testimony, right? Acts 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought back into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing there, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yeah. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, but Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. What's amazing is that just as God had told him right after his conversion in the temple that Paul would not be accepted by the crowds, Paul is not accepted by the crowds. Pastor Jay pointed out last week, as we're going through Acts 21, that when we follow Jesus, the road is not going to be marked with easy living. There's going to be suffering. For Paul, after many years of traveling and having incredible moments of successful witnessing of the gospel, and then also awful moments where he was imprisoned and beaten for his faith. He is met with hostility and anger from the crowds in Jerusalem. And I got to imagine that Paul was hoping to return to his people. There was hope inside of him that they would hear this gospel, the same testimony that he had received to the people that he so cared about having a high position among, that he would share the truth with them and that truly Jesus um, would, would do a work in their hearts. But at this point, the crowds reject him. And I have to imagine that as they reject him, the voice of Jesus rings true in Paul's ears because Jesus said this, and Paul loved Jesus, but in John 15, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know of him who sent me. I got to imagine Paul's just remembering this teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples and going, I imagine his heart's breaking, his people before him, trying to tell them there's something better. And he's met with hostility. But here's the thing about the, about the gospel, and here's the thing about all of our testimonies, is that it's God's testimony. It's not our job to change people's hearts. It's not our job to take the role that God has promised he will take. It's our job to be faithful to the one who changed our hearts. And so listen, if you are scared or timid about sharing this good news that has been done inside of you, this transformation from Jesus that has been done inside of you, know that at the end of the day, it's God's story. We are just blessed to be a part of it. 
In the high moments of life, in the low moments of life, God is faithful. And that is what his testimony points towards. Paul actually writes about this specifically when it comes to sharing our testimony and it sometimes being heard as good news and it sometimes being heard as bad news. In 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 17, it says this, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ." Here's the thing, if you have been saved, then there is an aroma, a fragrance around you. To those who are being saved, that aroma will be a fragrance of life. And to those who are dying, it will be an aroma of death. To those who are blind and desperately need insight, you may be that fragrance of life that they need. Is it something you did? No. It is solely the work of Jesus that is that fragrance. We're just called to be faithful in it. And then for those who are just so steeped in this world, when you live your life faithful to the one who has called you, it will be, as Paul referred to, an aroma of death. So you mean to tell me you spent your weekend helping at the homeless shelter when you could have been on vacation? Why would you do that? Jesus is the reason why. Why don't you come out and party with me? It's a Saturday night. We don't have to work until Monday. No, I need to get to bed. I've got church in the morning and I want to gather with my family and worship with them the next morning. Why would you do that? Because Jesus Come on, take the overtime work, make that extra bank, get that money, buy yourself some fun toys. Go and get yourself a new four-wheeler. No, I need to be home with my family. I need to be spending time with my children. Why would you do that? Because Jesus. Not everyone you give your testimony to will see it as an aroma of life. It's going to be a lot who smell it as death. But that should not stop you from sharing it. That should not stop us from living out this good news that has been done to us. Because God uses it. God is the one who changes people's hearts. It is God's testimony. It is God's work in you and in me that produces the aroma of life. Before we finish today, I want to share with you, um, it's a testimony that has um, affected me. And it's, it's not my testimony, it's not the testimony of anyone in here, um, but it's a testimony that I heard one time and like it still gives me goosebumps. And uh, as I was listening to, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I get to prepare a message, what I do is I put, the, uh, I put the passage on repeat in an audio Bible and I just listen to it. I go for walks and I listen to it and I just kind of ask God, okay, what, what, what are you preparing for our church that morning? How can I be faithful to what you're calling to? And the story came to mind and I was like, oh, that's, that sounds like a cool story. Um, but uh, the, it's the story of a song, right? It's the story of a song. And the artist of this song shared that one evening he was at home. He was spending time at home, sitting at home, and his friend came to visit him. This was prior to like cell phones, and so it wasn't unusual for his friend just to kind of show up and for them to hang out. Um, 
So his friend came over and, and hang out. And they were just spending time that evening. And, and the artist um, just played him a, a line from, from, this, um, from his journal. He's like, yeah, I just I had this, this song that I'm writing. And it was, it was just a couple of sentences, um, just a few lines. It wasn't a complete song, just a few lines. But after he played them, his friend looked him in the eyes and went, that is the best song you've ever written and it is going to make you famous one day. To which the artist went, it's not a complete song, it's like two sentences, and I am not becoming famous. And then when they were done hanging out that evening, the friend left and the other friend went to bed, and it was the last time he ever saw that friend, because shortly after that, the artist's friend got into a horrible car accident and passed away. And after receiving the news that his friend had passed away, he went and found the couple of sentences that he had penned down and he went and finished that song that night. He just went and wrote the rest of that song. And, and, and the reason he wrote the words that he wrote is he said that his friend's sole mission in life was to let other people know about God's love. In fact, his friend used to joke about wanting to be a martyr because maybe in his death that, that Jesus' name would be even amplified even more. And he wasn't martyred, but he did pass away. And this song was written. And I'm sure at this point you're like, well, what are the few lines of that song, Christoph? And like, here's the thing. If you've been in the church for the past five to ten years, you've heard the song. You know the song. I'm thinking about whether I want to actually sing it or not. There's a reason my wife leads worship, and I, I, they don't give me a microphone when I get to play bass. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll sing this line if you guys promise to finish out the chorus with me, all right? All the others at church. Can we, can we do that? Can we do that? All right, okay, all right. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. <laughs> sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me How he loves us so. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> That's pretty cool. The artist's name is John Mark McMillan, and the song, How He Loves, and the song obviously went on to go and affect and impact millions of people across the world. And is a constant reminder that even in the darkest moments of our life, that God is faithful because it is his testimony, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. Church, it's been really exciting lately serving our communities together. Um, and I think part of it is that we have just seen God, um, God is doing incredible things. I have to tell you, though, this, this, this small story, um, and then we're going to close out. So it was last week, Sunday, that I was listening to the passage and, and it just was like, hey, you should share the story of how he loves. And um, 
I got home from my walk, and I told Sarah, and I was like, Sarah, do we still sing that song? She's like, oh, we haven't sang it in a while. And I was like, would it be weird if I asked Joe if we could, um, we could close worship with that song? And she's like, no, go ahead and text him. And then, of course, I never texted him. <laughs> and uh, Wednesday, I'm, I'm looking at the, um, at the planning for the service, and I'm, I'm totally serious about this. This is, this is just one of the ways, it's just like God is showing his faithfulness and his goodness. And if you can leave here at all this morning with anything, is to know that God is good, his love is good, he's worthy to be followed. But there in that song slot for the closing song, we haven't played it in like a year, Joe had picked out how he loves. And you see, I'm like, what? Goosebumps, ah! Oh, it's crazy. But it's not crazy. It's, it's just God reminding us of his goodness, his love. Go and be faithful. Our testimonies, the work that he has done in your life is his story. and He is faithful to use it exactly how he intends to. So church, we need to go and be a light among the nations. I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to come out and uh, we will close out this morning. Lord, thank you for the work you did in Paul's life. Thank you that it is a testament to your faithfulness and goodness as we've seen throughout all of scripture, through all of the people that you worked through. God, it's just always a constant reminder of how good you are. That even though we took what you created, we took what you made, we said we know better and we have, we have sinned against you. And that the price for that was, was our death, that you don't give us death. Instead, you paid that price for us. God, I pray that we would take this good news, we would take this message, we would take um, your testimony into our homes, into our communities, into our schools. And God, that you would free the captives, you would, you would heal the sick, you would give sight to the blind. Lord, help us to just be faithful to what you have called us to. We love you. It is in your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.